Open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of John. The book of John and chapter number 5. John chapter 5. Okay. John chapter 5. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1. John chapter 5 and verse number 1 is where we're going to start. John 5, 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind and halt, and withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. And whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. And Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day, it is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. And he answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. And they asked him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Let's pray for a moment. Father, help us now. Open our hearts to your word. Give us, dear God, that which we have need of. And Lord, we'll thank you for what you do. We need, we need your voice in our hearts. We need you to change our hearts where they need changing and instruct us, Lord. And that we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all of it. In the name of Jesus, we do pray these things. Amen. Jesus, obviously here in Jerusalem, is near the sheep market. He's at a pool that is known as Bethesda. I was there just a little while back. We're, we're continuing our study of, for four more lessons on lessons from the Holy Land and what we can learn. If you go there to Bethesda today, you'll find the pool and you'll find where the porches were at. And of course, the scene has somewhat changed because it's antiquated ruins. But in this day, it was a prominent place and Many people had gathered there. Bethesda literally means house of mercy. But if you took the time to walk around those porches and view the people that were laid there, many on stretchers, some were blind, the Bible says, some were halt, some were maimed of different ways. This man obviously was crippled. He had no means where he, whereby he could get about and do the things that he needed to do. You might think it by by the people that had gathered there, you might think it would be more aptly named the house of misery rather than the house of mercy. I think it's important that we take a moment and, and recognize the crowd of broken people that have gathered there. I have no doubt that those are wearied people. They're tired of their condition. They're, they're looking for a way out. And the only way out that they're aware of is that during a certain season, an angel would come down into that pool, would stir the waters, and then after the waters were stirred, the first person that was able to lunge into the pool and make contact with the water was somehow miraculously healed. And so it was, it, it was their 
that all of these broken people have gathered and uh, with all of their uh, inner maladies sometimes affecting the outer man. Not only did their outer ailments affect their inner person, but sometimes it was the inner that affected the outer. They all have one thing in common. The blind, the lame, the halt. They all have one thing in common, and that is that they were all broken people who could not fix their own brokenness. They were surrounded by people just like them, but there was nothing that they could do for others because there was nothing they could do for themselves. They were broken, and, and they, they, they sat there in their brokenness. And, and if I could just add a little bit of flavor to this, I sense, as I read this, a desperation in these people. If you've been gathered in a place hoping for help for many years, this man was 38 years, and no help came, I, I think that there would be a desperation. If you knew that the window, if you knew that you just had an open window, whereby you could, you could get this done and your life would be forever changed and the burden that you've carried for a portion of your life would suddenly be lifted and you would be like everyone else. Rather than, rather than sitting at the porches of Bethesda, you would be out in society living a normal life. I think there would be a bit of panic, some stress, I think there would be a desperation pounding within your heart in hopes that somehow you might beat someone else into the water and be healed. I, I, I think, don't you, that perhaps these people had surely tried other avenues of healing? I, mean, I don't know, in their day they didn't have access to all of the cures that the internet gives us today. But I have no doubt that there weren't people there that were telling them of, of different types of things that might cure their particular malady. It reminds me, it reminds me, um, Brother Ernie, of the lady with the issue of blood. The Bible says in the book of Luke chapter 8, verse 43, and a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, 12 years this particular woman in Luke chapter 8 had struggled with her issue of blood that made her extraordinarily weak. And then the Bible adds something that, that, that really opens the picture up for us because it says, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any. And so she had gone the traditional route and tried to find help from, from the, the normal avenues of medical healing and yet for 12 years she had been frustrated. For 12 years she'd gone to doctors. For 12 years she'd sought somebody that could help her get out of the rut that she was in, but nobody helped her until she found the Lord. And so we don't know how long this certain season took place, but we do know that, that, um, uh, that the people gathered at that season in order to be healed. Now the five porches that are there, I want to just say very briefly about them. They were built there to um, uh, give the people a, a, a refuge from the elements. It can be brutally hot in the arid climate of, of the Holy Land. And in Jerusalem in particular, there, there can be vast swings of temperature. It may one day be scorching hot and within an hour it's raining and within an hour it's snowing and within an hour it's cold and then before the day ends it's back hot again. It's an amazing swing of temperature there. But I, 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 I cannot help but think about these dear people who year after year have gathered here for the certain season. And then the waters are stirred, and once again they do not make it down into the water. And so now that the season has ended, they begin to somehow, with the help of loved ones or friends, make their way back home. And, and I, can, I can feel the disappointment and the despondency uh, welling within them. Tears, discouragement, depression, as they began to make their way back home, realizing that once again, my desire 
to get into the water, my desire to be healed has been thwarted. Somebody else beat me into the water. Now there are lessons in this for you and I. Life lessons that will help us learn how to better cope with certain things. First of all, I want to say this. Point number one, I want you to know this, and that is that Jesus cares about you and your cares. I think that's the first thing that we're confronted with as, as we enter into this text because there's a host of broken people that are there. I mean, they're everywhere. As you walk in, I'm sure you have to walk around people and make your way as you, as you sort of navigate you sort of navigate the people that are there and, 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 and the hardships of these people. You're confronted with a man that's blind and a man who, as this man, was crippled and there's somebody that's just maimed and perhaps they've got the palsy and, and they're shaking and it's a difficult time. It's a difficult time uh, for all of these people. And as you get there and you see this array of broken people here, you, you realize that Jesus literally focuses his attention on a certain man. That's the Bible phrase. He, he picks a man out that's there, and he focuses on him. Now listen carefully, because this is vitally important. It's not that Jesus did not care about the others that were there. What he's illustrating for us is simply this, and, and that is that, that he always deals with us as individuals and that's how we all must respond to him. So we don't know what happened. We, we, we have no idea, once this man was healed, that everybody else looked and said, Oh my word, are you kidding me? We don't have to wait on the water? We don't know. God doesn't give us every event that takes place here. And, and, and so it could be that they got in a line. And do you think if they did that Jesus said, No, I've, I've dealt with him. The rest of y'all, you can just stay in your... I don't believe that. What I know is that God draws out a, a specific individual because God always deals with you and your trouble right where you are with whatever predicament you may be in. It reminds me, it reminds me of, of, of the woman who had the issue of blood. Mark chapter 5, it talks about the fact that there was a great crowd of people that were thronging him. And yet this woman decided, I'm going to touch him, and, and, and just she reached out and just barely got the hem of the garment, and because of her faith, she was healed. And Jesus said, somebody touched me, virtue's gone out of me, and, and the disciples said, you got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me. You're, with all of these masses of people here, somebody brushed you? Somebody just brushed the hem of your garment and... And now all of a sudden, you're, you're, trying, to, you're trying to locate who it was and, and, and why they touched you. And, and yet the reality of the matter was, the Bible said, that seeing the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me, and he looked round about to see her. See, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle of a mass of humanity, God looks about to see you. When everything is crowded... And, and, and the scene is overwhelming in our minds. God picks you out of the crowd. And in, in the middle of all of that turmoil, he looked about to see her that had done this thing. Go with me to Mark chapter 10. Would you do that? Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter 10. Look with me in verse 46. The Bible said, And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, and watch this phrase, a great number of people. So there's a, there's a whole host of folks gathered there, but watch this. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. When he heard that Jesus of Nazareth, it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Thou son of David, have mercy on who? Me. Have mercy on me. I need your help. And many, notice what the crowd is saying. Hey, dude, look. Zip it, would you? Good night. You're making a big commotion. 
Jesus isn't here for you. He's here for us. But I want to tell you, Jesus had a different thing in mind, okay? Because he deals with people as individuals. Watch this. Many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he cast away his garments and rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? What do you want me to do? And the blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Now look at me. Listen, I don't care, I don't care how many people gather around you and how many people have the same problem you've got. And I, I, listen to me, I, I, don't, I don't care how you may sometimes feel like you're lost in the crowd. Can I, can I tell you this? God cares for you and God cares about the things that you care about. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all large, small, and in between. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. I've told you the story before about Bill Rice, who got up in a meeting one time, and he asked people, I mean, he's a famous evangelist, he asked people, would you pray for my horse? He's sick. And a lady came up to him afterwards and said, uh, Dr. Rice, are you telling me that you pray for your horse? And he said, ma'am, I wouldn't own anything that I could not pray for. How many of you ever prayed for a vehicle, a car? Yeah, I have too. When it started sputtering somewhere down a dark highway in southeast Georgia where nothing was nearby for the next 2,000 miles. And, and uh, yeah, so, so, so li li listen to me. Whatever your care is, it might seem great to you and small to others, but God cares about the things that you care about. And he knows where you are. And, and have you ever noticed that some people will come uh, to, a, to a service or a meeting and some people get something out of it and the others leave empty? Same message, same bat time, same bat channel. But only some people get it and others miss what others got. We can gather as an assembly and I love South Valley Baptist Church, and I love you, and I'm grateful for what God has done here. But I want to just tell you this. Whatever God does here in this place will be done individually. God, God's not going to give us in mass some great decision. He's going to deal with each heart. Because you know why? Every heart has a different set of dynamics, a different set of things we can have the same problem, but it can impact us in different ways because we have different family around us and, and, and we have different emotions and we've got a different history behind us. And so my history will cause me to respond in a certain manner and your history will cause you to respond in a certain manner. And so we're both the same, same you know, we're, we're, we're in the same church, we're Christians, we, we, we love the same Lord, we serve the same Lord, but because of the history behind us and our, our DNA uh, things impact us in a, in a different manner. But I want you to know this. I want you to know that, that Christ is coming to you in your trouble, where you are, with your pain and your hurt and your heartaches, and He cares about you, and He cares about the things you care about. Now, I want to say one thing, and then i got to move to my next point. Stop listening to the voice of Satan. Stop listening to the hiss of the serpent that questioned the goodness of God in the garden and said, oh, really? Did God really say that to you? Do you know why God said that to you? Because God doesn't want you to have the best. And so he's withholding from you. And I, I want to tell you, there are people that are literally bailing out on their faith. Remember what the Bible says? That in the last days there will come a falling away first. And I, I'm telling you, we're seeing the falling away because there's people that have held prominent positions, pastored churches, written great songs that, 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 that people sing, and now all of a sudden they've denied their faith. You know why? Because Satan has sold them a lie. And they're actually believing that God doesn't care, 
And he's not concerned with the heartaches and the hardships that we have. He is. And you're that certain man. You're that certain woman. You're that certain person that he's going to come to where you're at, and he's going to help you deal with your problem. Number two, listen to this. Sometimes it is in misery that we find mercy. Well, I don't want that. Well, okay, I don't either. You know, what, what, what is it that works patience? Somebody tell me. What, work, what worketh patience? Thank both of you. Tribulation, okay? Tribulation worketh patience, okay? So the hardships we go through, guess what that does? That actually betters us. Well, who goes around praying, Heavenly Father, I need patience today. So send me a nice batch of tribulation. No, 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 no. That's not something we ask for, but it's something that we are aware of. When I go through a tribulation, if you take all the tribulations out of my life and your life, you know what you're going to be? You're going to be spoiled, entitled, impatient people. Now, I won't be that way, but you would be. No, I'm saying, no, that's for all of us, every one of us. If we, if, if, if we look, if you, if you take away the, the, the tough times, okay, if you take away the tough times and the hard times, then, then we become entitled and we think that we deserve that kind of thing. Now, I want you to think with me for a moment, because it's in misery, it's in misery that we often find mercy. And this particular man had an infirmity for 38 years. Can you imagine that? Say, Pastor, I feel that way. I've been married that long. Okay, let's get out of that. Don't, don't start. No, he was obviously lame and couldn't get around very well. I don't know how many times he had tried to get to the pool. 38 years he's been suffering from this, but he was too slow. He could not, he could not get up and go like everyone else, and he never made it to the water in time. Listen to me carefully. But without the utter despondency of his 38 years of hopelessness, he probably never would have met Jesus. I'm thinking of my Uncle Miles, such a good man, such a good man. And yet, when I would approach my Uncle Miles as a young man with the gospel, he never had time to talk to me about it. He wasn't unkind, but he was very well set. He wasn't into that. And so he, he was a very difficult person to talk to. Uncle Miles came down with cancer to the extent that they put a morphine pump in him so that he could give himself morphine. He had a little place down in Savannah on the outskirts, down near the waterfront, and a, had a little dock house built out there. And, and I decided one day, I've got to do this. I've got to go talk with him. I cannot, I cannot live my life without knowing for sure where he's going. So I, I, I called him and told him I was going to come. I went and he was sitting down there and I, I sat down with him and, and uh, uh, talked with him uh, a little bit about different things with the family and all. And then I said, Uncle Miles, I need, to, I need to talk with you. I love you. I've loved you my whole life since I was a little boy. I've looked up to you. And I said, now uh, you're struggling physically and I've, I've got I've to talk with you about Jesus Christ and about having heaven as your home. I'll never forget, he said to me, he said, I'm good. It's all good. And I said to him, what do you mean? He said, a couple of weeks ago, I was watching television, and I heard Charles Stanley on television give the gospel story, and I bowed my head in my living room and asked Jesus Christ into my heart, and he saved me. And he said, I'm going to heaven when I die. I went to see him a few weeks later in the hospital. He was in what they termed a coma, and I walked in the room... I walked in the room, and, and uh, he always called me buddy. Love you, buddy. I walked in the room, and, and my cousin was there, and my cousin said to him, Daddy, he leaned over, Daddy, Dean's here. And the next words out of his mouth was, he said, I'm ready, buddy. And she said to me, she said, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And I said, oh, yes, he does. He knows exactly what he's talking about. I, listen to me. I promise you this. I promise you right now in heaven that Miles Herring is thanking God for cancer because it was the cancer, it was the misery that helped him find mercy. And there are times in our life where it may not be as profound as salvation, but there are times in our life 
when God brings us through things that actually bring us to a, a discovery in our life. And we find, we find a, a different perspective of life because we've been through a hardship and we've been through a difficulty. I talked with a young man this week while I was in Springfield that I had prayed for. I sat in my, I sat in my uh, recliner um, uh, over in Napa and wept for him because, because he was on the verge of dying and now he's in church and doing well. And he said this to me. He said, Brother Dean, I want to tell you, that experience has changed my prayer life. I pray for people differently than I did then. 2012, when I had cancer, I lay in a hospital in Oklahoma City and I'm getting texts from everybody all around the, the country that are friends of mine and places I've preached and they're praying for me. And on Facebook, people are praying for me. And, and I want to just tell you, uh, for the first time in my life, I became the recipient of prayer. And it made me appreciate prayer. And I saw it in a different light because now, now I'm not on the giving end. Now I'm on the receiving end. And it's helped me learn how to pray for people even better. I'm just saying that, 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 that oftentimes it's, it's in misery that we find mercy. I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and not a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. Some of our greatest discoveries in life, it's in the middle of our furnace experiences that, that we feel the presence of the Lord closer than ever before. And it's in our difficult times, listen, that He's not just teaching us, He's making us during those times. Point number three, ready for this? Blaming others won't help our problems. Okay, you don't like that one, so we'll just move on. No, look with me in verse number 7. What happens in verse 6? Jesus comes to him and Jesus said, what do, you, what do you want from me? Okay, basically, what do you want me to do? Verse number 7, the impotent, rather than, rather than saying, oh, yes, here's what the impotent man, he complained. Verse number 7, the impotent man answered him, sir, I have no man when the trouble is, when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but why I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. So, so, so underline these thoughts in your mind. No man. Yeah, nobody. Nobody's helping me. No, no, nobody, nobody's helping me. Nobody's here with me. Nobody's comforting me. Nobody, nobody. No, watch this. Then, then he says, and then another. So nobody will help me, and then everybody else is just getting ahead of me. And so you can see the frustration surfacing here. He's tried and failed time and time again. He's always too late. He's too dejected, too despondent. It's as old as the garden. Why are you here? Okay. I love that scene there. Adam, who told you that you were naked? The woman that thou gavest me, Lord. You know what that you know what he's actually doing there? The woman that thou gavest me, Lord. He's blaming her and God. Okay? I'm here where I'm at because you gave her to me. And she hasn't, I mean, she's the one who led me astray. So then he looks at the woman, and well, the woman says, The devil made me do it. Okay? How many of you know Flip Wilson? Remember Flip? Okay. Devil made me do it. All right, now look at me. Listen to me. The reality, of, the reality of the matter is it got him nowhere fast, and that's exactly where blaming others will get you. It'll get you nowhere fast. Look at me. Don't blame other people for your lack of joy. No one can take your joy from you. It must be surrendered. You have to, you have to give it up somehow, some way, you, you see. And... and, and, and all it does is make us bitter and cynical. And, and in doing so, you actually hand the power to another person to define who you are. Okay, you did me wrong. You hurt my feelings. You've injured me. I'm injured. I'm crippled. I can't get around like I used to. I don't live the way I used to. Now I'm stuck here with all these injured people at Bethesda. Why? Because nobody helps me. 
and other people get in front of me. He's blaming everybody rather than looking to the Lord who's there to help him. Listen to me. If you want to spend your whole time complaining and, and, and embarking about who did you wrong, you're allowing someone else to define who you are. Don't do that. Don't do that. By the way, he was looking in the wrong place. He was looking at the people around him. He was looking at the pool. He was looking for help in all the wrong places. When the reality of the matter, the only person that could help him was standing there and he didn't even realize. Let me just say this. When he says this, I think this is a telling statement. No man. He, he said there, I have no man. Well, why is that? You ever think about that? Why is that? No, no. Have you ever think about that? Why is that? Why is that? Why is that? Pastor, I have no friends. Well, why is that? I have nobody to help me. Well, why is that? Ask, ask a question. I have no one to, to, to contribute to, to my life. Well, why is that? See, this man, I think, I think had become toxic. And with all of those people around him, it was like he was all alone. Nobody else was there. Nobody else was near. And Jesus said, you're in a mess. And he came to him and helped him. Number four, we have to want change. We have to want change to see change. Notice verse number six, what Jesus said to him. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Now I want you to think about that for just a moment, would you please? Is, is that a question you would... Here's a guy, 38 years. He's been lame. 38 years he's been disappointed. 38 years of suffering, of being a member of a fractured part of society. 38 years of perpetual disappointment, perpetual distress. You don't think it would be necessary, do you, to ask a question, do you want to be healed? Would you like to be healed? You wouldn't think you'd have to ask that question. And it seems without reason, but it's not without reason. Nothing Jesus ever said is without reason. And so what we have here is a great purpose behind it. Why? Because what Jesus is going to do right now is he's going to expose this guy's preconceived ideas. Okay? He's asking him a question. You know why? Because he wants the guy to speak. He's trying to get him, he's trying to get him to give up, to surrender out, to put it on the table, everything that he thinks is the right way for him to get help. And so he said, I have no man. We just read it to put me into the pool. I'm coming another steps in. This is what his thinking is. Ready for this? Here's what he's saying. If you just read this, you, you read this and, and, and you understand what he's basically saying is there's only one way to do this. There's only one way to do it, and that's the way it's already always been done. And so because I, I can't get help, no man will help me. That's the only way I'm going to get help is if somebody helped me, and without that happening, there's no hope for me whatsoever. Look, look. did you know this? Did you know that sometimes we benefit more from, from the knowledge we lose than the knowledge we gain? I call it brain clutter. Because sometimes our minds are so cluttered with, with preconceived ideas that are not founded upon truth that when we come to the house of God, we can't actually grow because the ground is too cluttered. So nothing permanent or eternal can be built in our mind until we rid ourselves of the clutter that has been placed there somewhere down the line in our journey. That's the case with this guy. How are you going to, do uh, 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 you want to get healed? Yeah, but I can't. You want help? I, yeah, but I can't get help. Why? Because this is the only way it can be done. The only way for me to be helped is to get in that pool, and I've already proven for 38 years I can't get in the pool. I'm just basically wasting my time. You know what you do in order to grow flowers? You purge weeds. And sometimes the weeds that need to be purged are deep within our thought process. And we've had people that have come to South Valley that had to unlearn some things before they could grasp the simplicity that is in the Christian life. And listen to me, man, is always, always, always 
trying to take God's truth and make it more complex than God makes it. And so what we do, come here, Levi. Levi looks like he needs an illustration. So here's Levi, okay? He's got the Christian life. Levi's going to carry the Christian life. That's not too heavy, is it? No, he's good, man. This kid is strong. Listen, he grows up on ball peanuts and grits. Amen. What are grits? Georgia ice cream. But anyhow, so, so here he is, man. He, he can carry that. There's no problem with that. But, but here's what happens. He, he, he goes somewhere, stumbles into a church somewhere, and they say, well, I'm glad you got that, but that's, that's not enough. Here, Levi, take this. And so now all of a sudden things are a little heavier for Levi. He's feeling weighted down. Now guess what happens? He loses the simplicity of the Christian life that he began with because somebody told him carrying the songbook isn't good enough. Now you've got to carry a chair. And so he goes on a ways. But you know what? That's not the end of it. They're going to lay this stuff on him. And he's, listen, he's in trouble now. He's looking at his dad and Luke saying, help. And, uh, uh, and so the reality of the matter is this. Listen to me. Here, here's the sad thing. You see this young guy here burdened and weighted down with all of this weight. And yet the reality of the matter is he doesn't have to carry that. No. Somebody told him he needed that. Yeah. All he needs is the songbook. And so when he leaves that church, you know what people tell me? It took me six months to let go of those chairs before I realized how light Christian life was and that all I needed was to carry the songbook. I'm going to ask you to hold those the rest of the message. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Thank you, Bob. So, so that's, that's what happens in so many, in, in, in so many lives is, is, is the fact that, that we, become, we become burdened down by, by things that man gives. Now, now watch this. When he says that, if you'll notice, Jesus didn't argue with him. Well, I beg your pardon. There's more to life than just going down into the pool. No, he doesn't argue with him. He doesn't even address that. You know why? Because he knew the man was just discussing what he knew to be truth. He wasn't a bad guy. He had just been taught this stuff. So he's walking around carrying two chairs, and Jesus is not saying, why are you carrying the two chairs, dummy? All he needs is a songbook. No, that's not what he's doing. So Jesus, Jesus saith to him, look at verse 8 and verse 9. Jesus saith unto him, Rise and take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. you know what Jesus did for him? He did away, listen to me, he removed his brain clutter. He took away the idea, i got to go to the pool, i got to get in the pool, nobody will carry me, everybody gets in front of me, I'll never make it, I'm hopeless. Jesus wiped that all out and said, you don't need that, you need me. Let me show you something. Go, go, with, me to, go, go with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew 5. Verse 31, Matthew 5, 31. Jesus said, It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, save for the cause of fornication, committeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Here's what he's saying. This is what you've heard, but let me tell you what I say. You've heard this, but I'm taking away that brain clutter. This is now what I say. Look, look with me in um, verse 33. Again ye have heard. Notice verse 34. But I say unto you. Okay, he's talking about making oaths there. Look at verse 38. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, resist not evil. Whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. So you've heard, but I say. You've heard, but I say. You've heard. Notice this, verse 43. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Well, that works out good. Verse 44, But I say unto you, 
Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. What he's doing here is he is, listen, he's, he's unlearning people. He's saying, this is what you've heard, and this is what you've adhered to, but I say this. He's changing, he's changing their way. You ever had a virus on your computer? And, and at some point, you, 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 on, on the hard drive, you, 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 had to, you had to get it cleared out. Sometimes our mind becomes infected with viruses that we pick up somewhere down the line. And we become judgmental and misconceptions and fears fill our mind. And, and if we don't uninstall that type of thinking, it impacts everything we do. And listen to me, it impacts the person you are. And the person you will become, because when you've got, when you're walking around carrying two chairs and a songbook, you know what you're doing? You know what you're doing? You're looking at Victor, and Victor's walking around with a songbook, and you're saying, dude, he's lazy. I got two chairs. All he's doing is carrying a songbook. And so you're walking around judging people that, that aren't burdened down with the same burdens you've got. And, and you see Eddie, he's just got a chair. And it's a plastic one. Oh, Eddie, those aren't heavy at all. Come on. And so you're looking at Eddie and you're saying, Eddie's just a one-chair guy. I'm a two-chair guy. No, that's what happens in Christianity. We judge people because they don't buy in to the, to the burdens that we were handed somewhere down the line. I just want to ask you this question. Are you willing to allow God to alter your perspective through His Word? And be ye, uh, be ye transformed by the what? Romans 12, 2. The renewing of your mind. Are you allow God to renew your mind and to take away some of the way you've been thinking? And maybe just set the chairs down and enjoy the songbook. Enjoy the freedom. Number five, I think. Okay, here it is. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurry. Stay with me. We've got an hour. Listen, Kevin, no, the nursery workers will kill me. No, here we go. Watch this. So, so here's, here's number five. There comes a time, listen carefully. This is so important. There comes a time when you've got to get up and walk. There comes a time, notice verse 8, Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately, number one, the man was what? Look at it. The man was what? Made whole. Okay, the man was made whole. What happened after that? He took up his bed and walked. So here's what happened. First of all, the faith healed him, okay? And then he took up his bed and walked. Listen to me. His, his works followed his faith. Works will not save you. But after you are saved... Our life becomes a life of letting men see our good works and glorifying our Father in heaven. Works won't get you to heaven, but, but works evidence to other people around you that that's where you're headed. That's where you're going. And, 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 and so here, here's a man, but before he, before he was made whole, he was crippled. He couldn't go anywhere. He couldn't do anything. But, but afterwards, he got up and left the dark spot where he had been awash in misery and in self-pity. There's a division of labor in the Bible. Don't, don't forget this. You've heard me say this before. There's a division of labor in the Bible. You cannot do what God can do, and God will not do what you can do. You can't do what God can do, and God won't do what you can do. So here's the reality of the matter is, the man couldn't heal himself. Jesus could do that. But it was only up to the man to walk away. Jesus wasn't going to make him. So at some point in our life, when God does a work, we have to get up, and we've got to walk. We've got to be, we've got to evidence. You can't do what Jesus can do, and he won't do what you can do. Jesus did his part, and then the man did his part by getting up and leaving Bethesda and walking away from the porches there. He, he was evidencing, my life has changed. Don't let your past problems define your present and your future don't surrender your 
today and your tomorrow. Don't surrender what will be, what is and what will be to what was. Let past be past. Here's a shocking statement. You might want to write this down. That's why they call it past. Because it's past. And we're to let it be past, not present. So let it go. Last of all, and I close quickly. Some people, some people value their traditions more than they do your freedom. That's, that's not nice. It's not a good point, but it's so valid. So, some people value their traditions more than they do your freedom. Now, there's no response given from the broken people that were there at the pool of Bethesda. I, 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 don't, I don't know. Do you think maybe that people that were stuck in the same place that he had been stuck in were thrilled that he was no longer shackled? I, I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. And I don't even know, as I said earlier, I don't know if there were others that were healed there. I mean, if I'm there and this guy gets healed by Jesus, I'm crawling. If somebody's describing what's happening and I'm blind, I'm saying, take me. Take me. Forget the pool. Forget the pool. I want the person. I'm not waiting, I'm not waiting on an angel. I want, I want him. I want the Lord. I, I cannot possibly imagine that the rest of the people just said, oh, well, Kesara, Sarah, here we are. Good for you, buddy. I don't believe that happened. I don't know what happened. The Bible doesn't say that wasn't the purpose of this story that God gives us here. But, but what I do know is that sometimes when a man is set free from his sins, those that are still bound in theirs aren't exactly elated for him. So if, if, if your life is changed and there are people in your family that ridicule you, don't be shocked at that. Don't, don't, don't let that surprise you. Because the reality of, of the matter is um, your freedom is, a, is a, 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 a constant contrast to their imprisoned soul. And so if you know Jesus and you're happy about it, and they don't know Jesus and they're wrapped up in the misery of a self-life that serves the guy in the mirror, they're probably not going to stand up and applaud you. They're probably going to ridicule you. Now what we do know is this, the religious crowd was livid. Do you know why? They were angry because his newfound freedom came at the expense of their traditions. And they always placed tradition over people. They always placed traditions over people. And they liked him better when he was crippled and miserable. And they were so pompous that they criticized what happened to him rather than rejoicing over the healing that he had received. Now, I don't know everybody's background that's here today, but I do know some, we have some people here that came from churches that used guilt to control you and demanded loyalty to their, their system of hierarchy. Now, I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Any man who demands blind loyalty from you will eventually ask you to surrender your eyes. See, here, here's the reality of the matter is. We, we don't bow at the altar of any human being. It's Christ. He's the head of the church. I'm the pastor. And I have influence, and I know that, and I love that. But the reality of the matter is, um, our, our loyalty is to God and His Word. And when a man strays from the book, when a man gets off course from the Bible, we no longer owe loyalty to him. And in fact, in fact, we have to place our loyalty in Christ. Now, now listen to me. You may disagree with me on some some things okay and I've said this before you have a right to be wrong um, we've established that so there may be insignificant little things like you know uh, I don't know where did Judas Iscariot where was he born okay 
You may argue over that. That's not essential. But I'm talking about over the essential things of the Word of God. The, 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 Bible, the Bible takes precedence. So what do you do? Listen, what do you do when your heart and your life has been changed and you're finally, you finally are free from carrying two chairs and now you're just happy because you found out all you need is a songbook. You don't have to walk around with all the burdens. What do you do with the criticism that comes your way from the people from where you were that are still carrying two chairs around? What do you do with that? Yeah, you don't do anything. You ignore it and you pray for them and you just focus on Jesus, let others see what Jesus has done in your life, and enjoy the freedom that he's given you. Just, just, just enjoy it. I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine that Jesus died on a cross, paid my sin debt, saved my soul as a 12-year-old boy to lead me into a life of utter misery where I carry around burdens and have to be worried about pleasing everybody in the whole wide world but the one person that died for my sin. That's who I have to please more than anybody is Jesus. And so, be happy. Be happy in Christ. That's, that's what he wants for you. He didn't want, this man was depressed and discouraged beforehand. Jesus saved him out of that. Allow him to take you out of wherever it was that you were before you met him. Let's bow our heads, could we? I, I don't know. I don't know what your burden is. I don't know what your heartache is right now. I don't know what your struggle is. But can I tell you this? He, he knows number one and number two he cares he knows and he cares and he's coming to you and he wants to set you free and he wants to lift your burden and he wants to give you freedom you don't have to live yesterday today Jesus can unlearn you of all of your preconceived ideas. If you'll just let him take the clutter away, he'll bring you to a great place in your life where you can rejoice and praise God for what he's done. If you're here today and you're not saved, before you leave here, let us take a Bible and show you how you can know for certain the heaven's your home. Thank you, Father, for your love and your mercy. And thank you, Lord, for the fact that you care for us, that you know all about us, you know where we are, and what it is that we're going through. And I pray that you will help us to learn these lessons from the Pool of Bethesda, that we too might go forward in our life, free of the clutter that so oftentimes accumulates there over the years. And Lord, help us to live in the freedom you've provided for us on Calvary. In Jesus' holy name, I pray these things. Amen.